We are with the people of God in the wilderness. Remember, that's the name that this book of the Bible has in the Hebrew. They are in the wilderness. They are between the promise given that they are rescued from slavery and then the promise fulfilled entrance into the promised land. And yet we find the people in the book of Numbers grumbling and complaining. And so listen to the word of God. Numbers chapter 12. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and Miriam, come out you three to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam and beheld she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, O God, please heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days. And after that, she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. After that, the people set out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Let me pray that God would apply his word into our lives. Father in heaven, we come and, and hear of your judgment, and we shudder. Some of us in frustration or disgust at your actions, others at a recognition of our own sin. And so, Lord, I pray that as we listen to your word, as we understand what happened and your response, that we would find in your word the, the picture of the seriousness of our sin and yet the great forgiveness that you offer us. Lord, I pray that the name of Jesus would be exalted, not merely in this word, not merely in the sermon, but in our lives, that we would acknowledge Jesus to be our Savior. So, Father in heaven, we come praying in the name of Jesus. Amen. When my mom reached the point of exasperation with our childhood nonsense, she'd never get my name right. Michael! Stephen! Kevin, whatever your name is. And, and she always ended with the whatever your name is, as if there might have been other sons that she had neglected to blame. And, and maybe the fact that she always listed my older and younger brother first should give me some encouragement that I was probably the best behaved of all her children. 
But her frustrated litany of names usually belied the fact that it wasn't that big of a deal, that she was just sort of in the moment exasperated by our, our nonsense. She just needed to get my attention. But I knew I was caught if she calmly and deliberately used my first and middle name, Kevin David. Then I knew I was in for it. She'd thought this through. This was a settled and calm decision. There was no hope of diffusing the situation with a, with a, with a silly quip. Oh, well, you can just call me whatever your name is. We can just make that my name from now on. That's the easiest one for you to remember. You always add that. There, there was no way for me to get out of it. Kevin David. I knew it was serious. The Lord's response to Miriam and Aaron is deliberate and serious in Numbers 12. Much more serious than any trouble you've ever gotten in. The Lord calls out to them. Look at, look at verse 4. While they're complaining, verse 4 tells us, And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And then verse 5, words which, in another context, God coming near to us would be an encouragement, are, are words of, of fright here in verse 5. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And in verse 9, we see the response of the Lord. The anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. What has provoked such a deliberate and purposeful response? What has provoked the Lord's anger here? It's Miriam and Aaron's complaint. They are the brother and sister of Moses. Moses, the great prophet, the leader of God's people, the one whom God had raised up to call his people out of slavery in Egypt. And his brother and sister come with a complaint. Look back at verse 1. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. So their stated reason, or their sort of underlying reason, or their maybe reason that they're trying to present to other people is that, well, here's the problem. Moses, he's married a foreigner. He's married someone outside the covenant. He's, he's not qualified to be a leader. But their words betray the fact that, that they think wait, why do we hold Moses up so high? Has not God done that in us as well? Yes, God speaks through Moses. We think that's important, but look at us. We are, we are the, the, the mouthpieces of God as well. And so verse 2, they come with the complaint. Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? Now, this was meant to be a complaint that would be heard by Moses in the hearing of the people so that they could get the people on their side and they could get more power. The problem is the complaint is ultimately a complaint not against Moses, but against whom? Against the God who speaks through Moses. And here's the real problem. Look at the end of verse 2. And the Lord heard it. The Lord heard their complaint and now comes in judgment. M Miriam and Aaron are exalting themselves. They're challenging Moses' role, his God-given authority. The complaining of the people here in the desert, which we saw, Mike showed us last week in chapter 11, was complaining that spread throughout all of the people. And yet God had responded by, by pouring out his spirit 
on the leaders of God's people by responding even in in graciousness. But now in chapter 12, it's not just the, the people. It's not grumbling that comes from below. It's the leaders of God's people, Miriam and Aaron, who are complaining. Miriam, the prophetess, the one who who is used by God like a prophet to speak forth the message of God. Aaron, who has been set aside and anointed as the high priest, the one who brings the sacrifice to the tabernacle so that the forgiveness of sins can be given to the people. The prophetess and high priest challenge Moses' role as the mediator for God's people. And the Lord heard it. And worse than that, it provokes the response that the Lord came down. It's an abrupt response. One, one commentator says that the Lord, the, 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 this abrupt response of the Lord is, is pregnant with terror. We should feel the, the horror in what's happening here. God has come down. And it's the Lord then who, who brings the defense of Moses. Moses doesn't even have to speak in his own defense. And, and we see that even in the way that this narrative is constructed. Now, the first five books of the Bible, we, we call the Pentateuch, just meaning the, the five books. We, we call it the Torah, the, the Old Testament designation for it. But we also, at times, call, it, these, call these the books of Moses. And so some would, would point to verse 3 and say, well, clearly this means Moses didn't write these books. Because what is verse 3? Now, the man Moses was very meek, more meek than all the people who were on the face of the earth. See, somebody who's humble, somebody who's meek, can't actually say that about themselves, can they? Well, he could if it were true. He could if it were inspired by God, if it were a detail you and I needed to know. So you and I would, would come forth with the humble brag of, of well, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's not really that big a deal, but I mean, you did notice it's not really that big of a deal. See, we, we wouldn't be able to say this with any, with any sense of integrity, but, but Moses can be the one who writes this down on behalf of God, as God's prophet, declaring that he is the meekest of all. It's either radical arrogance to write this about yourself, or if inspired by God, it's affirming, it's God's defense of Moses. And the meekness here isn't the the ordinary word that we would find throughout the Bible for humility. it's, It's even stronger. It's an absolute, devout dependence upon the Lord. Moses is not relying on himself at all. He relies entirely upon God. And so he can be a man who is meek. Not a man who is walked upon or pushed aside, but a man who trusts in the strength of the Lord. And then God speaks on, on defense, in defense of Moses. Look at verse 7. In, in contrast to the way God speaks to other, other prophets, verse 7 tells us, Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. You're going to challenge the integrity of Moses by claiming he has sinned in his marriage? No, no, no. Moses is faithful. You're going to claim that that you are used the same way that that he has. That Moses is just one of the prophets. Yeah, he might be like number one. Like if you were drafting prophets, you should pick Moses first in your Bible draft of prophets. But but even more than that, Moses, he doesn't even even get put into the draft because he's not even in the same category as the rest of the Old Testament prophets. Because God, at times, spoke in dreams and visions. He spoke in riddles and in confused ways. Sometimes the the prophets brought condemnation on the people that was meant to leave them frustrated and and confused. But, But no, how does God speak to Moses? He speaks to him mouth to mouth. 
He speaks to him face to face. He speaks to him clearly, not in riddles. And Moses gets to experience the, the direct presence of God, not merely a dream or a vision, but the very presence of God. Moses is above all the other prophets. God comes to Moses' defense. And so in verse 9, the anger of the Lord is kindled against Miriam and against Aaron. But when we look at the, the punishment, we see that the punishment, it, it, it seems maybe unfair. Because it looks like Aaron sort of gets away with it, right? I mean, it's Miriam who is punished. And, and, and maybe your, your initial reaction is, oh, yeah, isn't this, I mean, isn't this one of the problems with the Bible, that it's just filled with misogyny, a hatred of women? I mean, isn't, isn't that what, what, what we see, even in a passage like this? Miriam and Aaron, verse 1, spoke against Moses, but it's only Miriam who gets in any trouble? But, but first, uh, we, we can notice that, that the, the, the verb, and we, and we can't see this in English, and I had to trust the commentators because my Hebrew is not what it once was. But in, but in verse 1, the verb there is in the feminine singular. That Aaron is with her, but Miriam is the leader. She's the spokeswoman of this complaint. The, the Bible is actually saying, no, no, we're, we're not denigrating Miriam. We're actually saying she's, she's responsible. She's the one in charge. She's the leader. And, and that's not to Aaron's credit in any way in this situation. Like, like uh, Adam in the Garden of Eden, he just absolves, tries to absolve himself of responsibility. But, but worse, like Aaron at the at Mount Sinai, when the people, you know, they, what, they, we just threw the gold in and out came this golden calf. I mean, it was really, it was the people's fault. I mean, Aaron doesn't come off looking good in this. And, and maybe the only reason Aaron gets away without a direct punishment is that even seven days outside the camp for the high priest would be too great of a punishment on the people. The, Aaron may only have been protected by the fact that, that his role as high priest demands that he be in the tabernacle. See, Miriam's role is, is highlighted. She is the primary decision maker. She's a vital leader. And, and you can just think of that. How has Miriam been introduced to, to us in the books of Moses? Well, if you flipped back to, to the beginning of the book of Exodus, when we first meet Moses, we actually find it's Moses' sister who is the, the main actor there as, as Moses' mother secretly gives birth and, and, and floats him out onto the river. It's his sister Miriam. There's only one sister of Moses who's, who's ever named in the Bible for us. And so it's Miriam who's there waiting. It's Miriam who sees Pharaoh's daughter scoop up the child. It's Miriam who comes up with the plan. How about I go and find a, a wet nurse for this baby and brings Moses home? Miriam is the protector of God's people. And then when they, when they are rescued years later by God, at the Red Sea, when the, the armies of Pharaoh are destroyed, we find in Exodus 15, Moses leading the people in song. But then what happens next? We're told that Miriam leads the, the, the people as well. She leads the women in song in, in Exodus chapter 15, verses 20 and 21. And she is described to us there as Miriam the prophetess. She has an important role such that the, the rest of the Old Testament can, can categorize her. Micah in Micah chapter 6 We'll say, in summarizing what God did in the Exodus, that God led us by Moses and Aaron and Miriam. She is given a, 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 a position, a privileged position. And so the Bible is not misogynistic here. The Bible equally condemns the sins of men 
and women. Miriam is a leader, a decision maker, a sinner. And then look at the the punishment. Look back at verse 10 of Numbers 12. When the cloud removed from over their tent, when God's anger was kindled and God departed, behold, verse 10 tells us, Miriam was leprous like snow. See, in a sense, the punishment fits the crime. She will not be left behind. She's not completely excluded from the community, but she's given a a physical ailment that means she has to leave the community for a time of purification before she can come back. And so there's a graciousness here even that she's not struck dead on the scene. She's not not cast aside in the desert, but and the fact that the, the whole community, we're told, waits for her. No one's going anywhere until the time of Miriam's purification has ended and she can be, she can be restored. But, but verse, verse 12 makes explicit. What does this leprosy, and, and remember, in the, in the ancient world, that, that, that language, that diagnosis covered a, a much broader range of skin diseases than, than we might think of with our, our modern use of that word. But v- verse 12, or verse 11, says that, that her leprosy, her skin was like snow. Now, Commentators point out that this doesn't seem to be an accidental detail. Because what was the original complaint back in verse 1? It was that Moses had married a Cushite. Now your ancient geography might require you to open a a Bible uh, atlas and figure out, wait, where's Cush? What do people from Cush look like? Cush is south of Egypt, down into Africa. And so a Cushite woman is a black woman. She is almost definitely dark-skinned. See, Miriam's punishment is that her skin is made then white like snow. She had raised this ethnic question to, to sort of gain popular support, to get people to think, not, I mean, not only did he, did he marry a foreigner, he married a Cushite. He's, Miriam is trying to incite people against Moses and his authority, and she's willing to use racism against Moses. And so, God makes the punishment fit the crime. Oh, you want to make this about skin color, do you? Miriam is made leprous, her skin like snow. See, this is an irony surely not lost on Miriam. You want to complain about the value and worth of a black woman? Contend that a foreigner is outside of the blessing of God? Well, the Lord intervenes and sides with Moses and his wife. Notice, notice even in, in, in verse, one, verse 1 of the chapter, we're told that the complaint is that Moses had married a Cushite woman. And just so that we're, we're clear that God is in favor of this, look at the repetition in verse 1. For he had married a Cushite woman. I mean, that's a detail you and I didn't need added. We kind of believed Miriam's claim. But, but God wants to affirm, oh yes, he had married a Cushite woman. He is faithful. He is doing what is right. He has not disobeyed in any way. And so the Lord intervenes and sides with Moses and his wife. You complain about a black woman and the sin is a sin where Miriam's skin is turned white like snow. This is the first Black is Beautiful campaign. White is the color of punishment in Numbers 12. A reminder of the value and dignity of every person. 
See, when we seek to divide on the basis of race, God reminds us that every life matters to him. Moses had not sinned by marrying. The punishment here, even the leprosy, exposes the sin of Miriam. And yet, thankfully, this passage doesn't end merely with this judgment. But we see in verse 11, Aaron, now the high priest, intervene on behalf of his sister. And and you can get the sense here that that Aaron understands his own guilt as well. That yes, he he has been been spared the leprosy, but, but Aaron now turns to whom? He turns to Moses. Remember what this whole argument was about. Aaron and Miriam wanted direct access to God. Why do we have to go through Moses? Why does Moses get this exalted position? And yet, as soon as things are are troubling, as soon as they see the judgment of God, to whom does he turn? He turns right back to Moses. Oh, Moses is the mediator that I need. Moses is my only hope. And the language of verses 11 and 12 is horrific. A a language of of despair, of, of, of horror and tragedy. Oh my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. And so Moses, in verse 13, intervenes. Moses cried to the Lord, Oh God, please heal her. Please. Moses doesn't say, Why don't we wait a few minutes so that I can be sure the two of you have learned your lesson? He doesn't, he doesn't try and, and, and press the weight of their sin. He understands that, that when they come in this sorrow and sadness that they understand their brokenness. And so he cries out to God. See, when we see our sin, we need somewhere to turn. When we see that we are people who have rebelled against God's good purposes, then we need someone to whom we can, can cry out. And when we cry out in desperation, Aaron's Aaron's words are are words of desperation. Oh, my Lord, do not punish us. And yet Moses' words are words of desperation. The the plea becomes a a prayer of Moses. Oh, God, please heal her. Please. We need a mediator, one to whom we can turn, one who has access to God, one whose sin doesn't bar him from God's presence. See, Moses is is held up as the greatest of the prophets, greatest of the Old Testament prophets. For his ministry as mediator points us forward to the work of Jesus Christ. We can think of the way the author of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament describes the work of Jesus, that Jesus is our perfect mediator, the one who stands between us and God, the one who has right to access to God because of his perfect obedience to God's commands. The sacrifice who gave his life for us. We read in, in Hebrews 9, verse 15, that Jesus, the Christ, is the mediator of the new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. See, death is what you and I deserve. Death is what Miriam and Aaron deserved, and yet we have a mediator to whom we can turn. And our mediator, Jesus Christ, offers us the hope of eternal life. In our desperation, we can cry out to God, that we know that, that when we come to him, we can be reconciled. Think of the way the Apostle Paul describes the, the work of Jesus in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read that Jesus has died for all. That we see the love of God in the death of our Savior. And then we're told that, that because of the death of Jesus, Jesus Christ has reconciled us to himself. And then he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, 
God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So you have a a privilege. When when people feel the weight of their sin to point them, not not back on themselves that they can do something to fix the problem, not not back to to their their own actions. It's not to minimize the sin. It's to recognize that that when, when someone admits their failures, that we have a Savior who forgives, one who has reconciled us to himself through his death on the cross. So when we have no other hope, we can turn to Jesus. Aaron and Miriam have no hope, and so they throw themselves down at the mediator's feet. Oh, my Lord, do not punish us. Moses prays for her forgiveness. And yet you and I have the one who assures us of our forgiveness, Jesus, our Savior. And in Numbers 12, there's surely some lessons for us to learn about how we could respond when people come and criticize us. I mean, Moses doesn't, doesn't jump to his own defense. He doesn't throw out the litany of, but, but this, or but you don't understand, or but I, I did this. When, when, when criticism comes, he entrusts himself to God. He knows that it's God who is at work in him. He is a man more meek than any other, more dependent upon God than any other man alive. And so we can admit when we have failed, when criticism comes. And we can respond to criticism with mercy. There's, there's not, not a vengeful judgment upon Miriam and Aaron, even though they're undermining the work of Moses in a very difficult scenario. No, he, he forgives. He intercedes. He pleads on their behalf. And so we can look to forgive others. We can work to restore relationships when it's possible. And so, yes, there are lessons we can learn about how to respond to criticism with humility, but, but, but the lessons of Numbers 12 are not primarily about how we respond when others criticize us. The lessons here are how my heart reacts in complaining and criticizing others. How quickly I can take a concern and then make it personal. Miriam and Aaron don't just bring a complaint about wanting to, to speak on behalf of God. They, they, they make it personal. And look at Moses. Look at his life. Look at the way he acts. Look at the way he lives. I can make my complaints vile. They can distort my heart. I can tack another person's identity and integrity, devalue the lives of others, and exalt myself. See, when I, when I read Numbers 12, I want to be Moses. I want to be the one who's, who's standing in leadership when, when people are complaining. And yet I'm not Moses. I'm Miriam and Aaron. I'm, I'm looking to, to push responsibility off onto somebody else all the time. I'm looking to, at complaining if, even, when, even when things are going well, but certainly when things are going badly. My selfishness and sinfulness exposed, and so I deserve judgment. And yet there is hope. Hope for me. Hope for grumblers and complainers like me. Because the Lord who rescues is the God who forgives. The one who brought them out of Egypt is the one who will stay with them in the wilderness. The one who promised them the the land is the one who will go forward with them. The one who will prove his patience. The results of your sin may be visible, like 
Miriam's sin was visible to anyone who looked upon her. The, the results of your sin may be, may be visible in the wreckage of your life, but God forgives sinners. The arrogance of your heart may spew forth in complaint, but God forgives repentant complainers. So admit your need. Find forgiveness. Cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ, your mediator. Let me pray that God would apply his word to our lives. Lord, I ask that, that as we feel the weight of our own shame, the exposure of our own sin, that you would not abandon us here, but Lord, that you would show us that you have provided for, the, for our forgiveness through Jesus, our Savior. Father in heaven, we come needing you to work in us. And so for those who, who doubt your word, who doubt the truthfulness of your, your, your gospel message, I pray that you would give them now faith to believe. Lord, for those who have not found forgiveness in Christ, I pray that they, they will not be able to, to shake off the guilt and the shame that they feel until they turn to Jesus. But Lord, for those of us who are followers of Christ, who have found forgiveness in the death of our Savior, Lord, Lord let, us not, let us not be burdened by our sin but let us cast it aside following after Christ. Lord, where our hearts are prone to grumble and complain, make us a people who find hope in your grace. Lord, make us ministers of reconciliation, those who, having heard the message that we are reconciled to you through Christ, would announce this message to others. Lord, we come rejoicing in the hope of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.